Hi, I'm Joseph. And I'm TJ. And this is Hi-Fi. Hey, Joe. I am coming to you live from my Hackintosh. Whoa, yeah. It sounds so retro. Yeah, sure. Uh, I suppose. Um, I've, I've recorded this podcast on this Hackintosh before, but not. this is the first time since receiving my M1 Mac, mm. Mac MacBook Air. So your my M1 MacBook Air is good and great, and so is the Hackintosh. So what's going on? Well, and, you know, forgive me, I just, you know, I have, this is my tech podcast, I have to talk about my tech yeah, life. Yeah, no, frankly. please do, please do. So, my wife's old, uh, what, what most people call the MacBook One, the old, you know, Intel uh, M-powered chip, whatever the mobile chip that they had that was super underpowered, but still ran very hot, but didn't have a fan, and so it would just bog way down. That old MacBook that, that you know, Apple made super thin, it's like a 10 or 11 inch or whatever it is, super small. And that's been my wife's computer for years, but slowly it's just been getting worse and worse. And um, I was trying to do something for her on it the other day, and I would click something, and then I would shave and take a shower, and then I'd come back, and it still wouldn't be done. And uh, so I just and, – and, you know, bless my dear wife. She doesn't complain that much, but she had noted – it's like, oh, it's, it's a little slow. I'm like, a little slow? <laughs> I can't do this, Rachel. I can't do this. So um, I, we're retiring her MacBook, and I have uh, bestowed upon her my M1 MacBook Air. There are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, well, I've just detailed the first reason. Right. The second reason is I honestly – I don't use the laptop as a laptop very much. Like because it's a laptop, I will sometimes yeah. go sit on my couch or you know go sit out on the porch or whatever, but not very often. And in general, it's worse at being a desktop computer than my Hackintosh is. And um, I just found that I wasn't enjoying it as much. And, and again, the MacBook Air, I think, is an amazing computer, the M1 MacBook Air. It's an amazing computer. It's very fast for what it is. It still is not as fast and not as nice to use as my Hackintosh. A lot of that is the graphics card. I have a really high-powered graphics card in my Hackintosh, and hmm. it's, you know, you don't get any any sense that there's problems with it keeping up with the video. And when I have my three displays connected, you know, two of them through the USB ports, uh, what's the name of that? Display link technology, and one of them connected natively. And it, it just, it, the Mac, little MacBook Air just feels like it's like, uh, okay, I'll, I'll push some pixels up there. Ugh. That's kind of really? what it feels huh. like, yeah. So um, it's great when you don't have any displays connected. And even when you have just one display connected natively, it's, it's fine. But So do you think I, it would be this way if you were using one less display? I think it's probably the display link displays. Okay. Because that um, does seem to be an Apple shortcoming in recent year in general. Well, yes. So um, it, it has become a thing where Apple's laptops to support less displays over time. And that is a troubling uh, development because my I had a MacBook um, Pro, oh, I think it was a 2011, and I powered um, four display. well, the, the internal display and the three, the three besides the internal uh, natively. So I had three plus the built-in display and it worked fine. And I was disappointed with my replacement MacBook Pro, which didn't support three displays n- natively anymore. Um, it only supported two external displays. Um, and in all other ways, it was a faster, better, you know, MacBook Pro. So 
it was disappointing um, that Apple was had this regression. And some of that I, I chalked up to not being Apple's fault, like maybe the graphics card, because App, Apple doesn't make their own graphics cards at the time. Maybe um, maybe it was the graphics card just wasn't up to the task anymore. Uh, and it just Apple just had to roll with the punches. So how much of the time do you think Apple just looks at user statistics and knows from logs that in real world cases, a negligible number of people even use three or more displays. So they just say, you know what, it's not worth our time and effort to support it. I suppose I, I, I don't think when, it, when somebody else is making the graphics card, I doubt Apple paid that much attention. It's like, Oh, we know it'll support at least an external display. Most people, when they sit at their desk with their laptop, they connect an external display. Most people are not using it as a desktop computer. Like I do, uh, which is what made me, you know, want to go desktop initially anyway. Um, and when I was very dissatisfied with any desktop offerings that Apple had, that's why I built the Hackintosh and I put a really nice graphics card in it. Um, and it supports my three displays without any sweat. That, that's the bottom line there. And I think that's the one of the biggest contributors to the computer feeling faster. I have noticed, of course, being on the M1 MacBook Air, Apple's had a huge push toward making the SSDs faster and faster and faster. My poor old SSD, it's only 450 megabytes a second. You know, that's very fast by old standards. But by Apple's, you know, 2,500 megabytes a second, I think is what their current SSDs do. Um, it's slow by the comparison to that. And so occasionally I'll notice on the Hackintosh file operations are a little slower, but for the practical purposes and for the things that I do, it doesn't matter that much. So, yeah. um, you're not worried about it just booting up and waking up and no. reloading applications. Yeah. No. And it's fast at all those things anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, and the Hackintosh, it just made sense for me to go back to that since I met my desk all the time and Rachel really, really needed a, another computer. Her computer was just not cutting muster anymore. And in fact, we had a problem. She was trying to do a presentation for a thing that she's involved in, and she was uh, giving a presentation, and she couldn't get her computer to connect to the projector. It would connect, and then it would blink off, and then it would connect, and then it would blink off. And my MacBook Mm. Air connected and stayed connected just fine. So um, it just made sense uh, for me to go back to Hackintosh. And my my further thought is, um, although there's been some developments that make me think that Maybe I'm wrong, but my further thought at the time when I switched, made the switch over was um, my time with this Hackintosh is limited by two factors, one of which I think may not be a factor after the, mm. the most recent news. But the, the, the factor is that Apple eventually is going to stop supporting Intel Macs with Mac OS. And so then at some point, you know, they will upgrade to a point where maybe I'll be happy for a couple of versions to stay on whatever version they leave behind with, the you know, Intel but at some point, I'll want a version of Mac OS that doesn't support Intel anymore. And at that point, the Hackintosh will be, uh, you know, dead, essentially, for all <laughs> practical purposes. And the other, the other constraint is just that time marches on regardless, and eventually computers get outdated. Um, right. Now, of course, you know, it's a Hackintosh, and I can upgrade things, which is part of the draw of it anyway. So I'm going to – my thought now at this point is I'm going to continue on the path that I thought I was on when I built it, which is I'm just going to keep using it until it, it can't be used anymore. And if I can upgrade it for cheap, I'll do that. And if at some point it just becomes unworkable, then I'll think about my solutions then. Well, and think about, too, what you do with it. You're mostly doing not terribly heavy development work, right? Um, well, that's not true. Oh, yeah? Uh, so my day job I'm doing on the company laptop that I, in fact, because this job partic- in particular, I'm not allowed to work my day job on any other computer, not my own, which I used to do at other jobs. Uh, oh, okay. so, but I do a lot of development on the side. Um, I'm working very heavily on some updates to my own software that I sell and I'm doing that all on the Hackintosh at this point. I was doing it on the M1. So, 
um, just a little bit more nerdy, nerdy detail stuff. Um, I had moved yeah. my Hackintosh to the closet behind my desk, uh, which allowed me to keep it on and it acted as a backup server things it's running stuff at night which it still does um and but i moved it to the closet which gets the noise that it makes which isn't much but it's enough that it gets in my mic and you know stuff like that so um i had moved it to the closet and i wanted to keep it there but it's a little bit further away from my desk and i didn't have any cables that would reach and so um i wound up uh i bought three 15 foot display port cables and two um well one usb c i have one usb c port on this computer so one usb c 15 foot cable and one usb uh a uh 15 foot cable and so those are oh. go, snaking up to my desk i actually i'll put pictures in the show notes i kind of put them together as a bundle you know like a cable bundle and they're just going across from the closet under the door up to my desk it, it looks it doesn't look too bad so um anyway that's all the nerdy details about my com- current computing life <laughs> okay so what did you do with the old retired MacBook? Well, the, the so the kids have been using it too for school and for various things. They have their Draper Kids account is the name of the Draper Kids is the name of the user account. And oh, so okay. uh it has been become solely their domain now to to use that computer. And they they can, you know, they'll have to put up with the slowness of the thing for now. At, it's, oh, okay. at some point, we may have to add a, an account for them onto the uh M1 MacBook Air if that computer becomes completely unusable for them, but that's the Draper computing life at the moment. Right. I usually pass down my Macs to my children as well. And the one that they are using right now is a 21-inch uh, iMac of 2013. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so this this episode is a reminder to me. I, I knew when we bought Rachel's MacBook that it wasn't a good investment. It was like, oh, but she likes small computers and it's a it's a teeny tiny cute little computer. But as soon as we got it, we knew it was just not going to last as long as other Macs that we've had. And yeah, it's, I felt the same way. I had a very similar model. Yeah. It's a reminder to me that it is always worth investing the correct amount of money in the correct computer. And I feel really good about the longevity of the MacBook Air that Rachel now has. And you should feel really good about the longevity of that Hackintosh. Well, well, I built it in 2017 and it's 2021 and I still feel like it's a very good and fast computer. And oh, and I um, so because I hadn't been paying much attention to it, it was uh, two point versions behind or, or no, it was one point, one major point and one minor point behind in Mac OS 11. And so I updated it from 11.4 to 11.5.1. Which is, and the reason it didn't auto-update is because with the Hackintosh, even though it's never given me any trouble, uh, on, on, you know, only major versions are the biggest pain. So it's never given me any trouble on minor versions. It's literally just, just like you would update a Mac, but I still want to just be there in case something goes wrong. So, um, I always manually click to update it and it was smooth as butter. Um, nice. just like, just like updating a Mac. I, you know, I went to a software update and clicked the install. It installed, it rebooted a few times and here we are back at, you know, working again. Fascinating. I know that people are using Hackintoshes. I don't know anyone else besides you, but I, I would be really interested in watching one being built or have one built for me or so I don't know. Have I need I, somebody to hold my hand. So the last time you were at my place, I know it's been since 2017, but it probably didn't think to show you my Hackintosh, huh? Yeah, you showed it running. Uh, you didn't go into any of the nitty gritty. Oh, okay. Well, next time you're yeah. here, remind me. That'd be great. <sighs> Joe, I have a lot of stuff in this show document. I don't know if you have anything you wanted to add, but otherwise we can march on. Well, I, I, yeah, I could add that I 
I earlier this year were talked on the podcast about how I was going to be getting the new generation of iMac, a colorful one that my daughter and I were interested in using for home video production. And then later, my daughter just changed her priorities and decided that she wanted to do something else with her life than video and a YouTube career. So yeah, we hung up that idea and I canceled my order because uh, when the first wave of buyers you know, ordered their iMacs, they, it sold out really fast. By the time that we put in our order, it said it was going to be something like two months before they shipped it. And they didn't take your money until they shipped it. So I canceled it when it had about two and a half weeks left to go. Mm. So what I would be really interested in if it was a purchase just for myself would be more along the lines of, well, like a hypothetical Mac Mini Pro, as we've discussed on the podcast as well, where maybe later this year, cross your fingers, Apple is interested in releasing some new generation of the M chip. And they would make that available on a Mac Mini. At least if it's not considered a Mac Mini Pro, at least it's even more powerful than the current one, which kind of would wrestle with the same power resource problems that you faced with your external displays. Because if I'm just getting the Mac Mini now with with an M1, I'll be using external displays and I would prefer to have two 4K 24-inch or 27-inch displays. Mm -hmm. I figure I would be yeah uh, hurting in the graphics department. So... At least I really like the display I have, and I would I'm interested in getting a second. So I would like to have a minimum of the current power of the M1 Mac Mini, but I just don't need a purple iMac if I'm not sharing it with my daughter. So <laughs> I'm waiting to see what Apple comes with in the fall, and if they don't come out with anything more interesting than the current lot, then I'll probably get the new er Mac Mini with an M1. Yeah, uh, that reminds me. I need to cap off something that I said I would talk about and didn't, but I'll come back to that. Um, the um, yeah, I would. I right now my computer that I would buy if I were buying one. Um, and I'm, I'm rethinking this because I was thinking I would probably get a MacBook Pro, but like I just don't know that I need a laptop. Again, I'm at, yeah. I'm back at that yeah. place where the way I'm you just, were saying that. Yeah, I can't I'm, see you needing it. I'm back at that place where I was when I built the Hackintosh. It's like. I'm always at my desk and occasionally it's nice to go out on the porch, but like I don't get as much done out there and I, I don't because I'm not in my comfortable zone. And so I get plenty of outside time with my workouts where I run and, and bike outside. So I, I just feel like for me, a, a Mac mini would probably be the way to go. I, I do not, I, I just do not like the thought of an iMac. I think they're a great computer. I think Apple is, has every right to make them. I think they're very popular. I just, for me, I don't like the tying all the components together in such a way to the display technology so that, you know, you buy this massive amount of computer with a massive amount of money and then it all expires at the same time when the least, uh, you know, when, when the part that goes first goes, the rest of the computer goes. You know what I'm saying? Like if the, yeah. if the processor is underpowered, but the display is perfectly fine. Well, that sucks. You just got to buy a new computer with a new display. Like I just don't, I, that doesn't work for me. I don't do, I don't like it. So I think a Mac mini would probably be my computer right now. I really hope Apple makes a mid range tower at some point, which there are rumors of them doing. And I would be interested in that if, and when my Hackintosh goes, uh, the way of the Dodo. Um, so getting back to what I mentioned um, with uh, the graphics stuff, um, one of the things that makes me think there may be more longevity in uh, Intel Mac OS than I thought there would be is Apple is updating components for um, for the for the Mac Pro, 
which I didn't think would happen. But they've released new components for the Mac Pro. They haven't updated the Mac Pro as yet with like a big spec bump, like a major version, you know, like, like a major generation of the Intel processor, although that is rumored. But every time they update the Mac Pro, that's that much further out they push having to support it, right? So you, if they're supporting it now, then when they retire it, they still have to support it with software for that much longer. Um, right. That so so there may be more longevity in in an Intel Mac than I than I thought there would be. I, I thought their transition would go a little faster, and now I'm wondering. And I was listening to Upgrade earlier today. I'm not quite finished with the episode, but. Uh, that's Jason and Mike, um, and I need to make notes to myself to put these in the show notes. So uh, uh, Intel, Mac Pro, graphics, updates, upgrade. Okay, that's good enough for me to remember what that is. So um, they were talking about uh, maybe and, – and they it seems like maybe Apple will continue to update the Intel Mac even after, quote, you know, the – quote, transition to M1 is done or, or Mac Sil- Apple Silicon is done because why not? Like, th- And this is a very Tim Cook move. You keep a product in the lineup for longer, right? Uh, it, right. It's like Apple's still selling the iPhone 8. Do they still sell the iPhone 8 or 9 or whatever it is? It's like <laughs> I think they're still selling an iPhone model that is not the SE that has a home button. I think that's still the case because this is what Tim Cook does is he keeps products in the lineup. So what if Apple were to keep updating the Intel model with new generations of Intel pr- processors, but but you know continue to keep that model around for a while while they're still building the Apple Silicon version of the Mac Pro. Like that would be a very Tim Cook move to keep getting mileage out of that, which makes me hopeful that Apple will continue to support Intel Macs with with software for quite a while. Well, currently they got the uh, the iPhone SE, and that still has a home button. And uh, even the iPhone XR, but the XR doesn't have no, no. So it so, feels long in the tooth. So maybe though. they're not selling the iPhone eight anymore, but they were until the iPhone twelve. That I know. So mm-hmm. maybe they have finally moved that out of the lineup, and so now it's just the iPhone SE. So um, I had a question for you. Have you heard any of the iPhone thirteen rumors in the past week or so? Uh, the only I, I don't know if it was in the past week. I do remember at some point seeing a rumor that the uh, the new iPhone thirteen would be pretty similar to the twelve, except it would have a narrower and not quite as tall notch. Yeah, that is interesting. I'm glad to hear that. As long as there's a notch, though, it doesn't make a huge difference to me if it's uh, cut in half or not. Well, maybe not to you, but to me on the iPhone 12 Mm -hmm. mini, uh, the notch takes up about the same amount of space that it would on your phone. So I get that much less space Mm. for the status indicators. And I'm just looking at my phone right now and the bars, the cell cell bars are pushed right up to the edge of the notch. It's it's a little it's a little tight. Well, and that's the thing too, is that given the design of the notch itself, I wouldn't be surprised if in the the mini design, they might compromise and still have to cram that up in there somehow. Maybe maybe the redesigned smaller uh, forehead only is a redesigned to the regular standard model, models in the pros or something. Another thing I did hear was that this might be the last time we get an iPhone mini uh, for a while yet. Yeah, so, and the idea, I've seen this floating around, I don't know if you've got a link to any of these rumors to put in the show notes, but... Um, yep, looking it up. Yeah, so, um, the idea here is that the iPhone 12 mini is not selling all that well, but we know that Apple's product pipeline is at least a couple years long, and it's difficult to turn that train around. And so they probably thought, oh, as much as people are clamoring for a mini, 
um, we, we're, we're going to give it to them. It'll take a couple of years. And then when they do, sales are a little lackluster, but they've already got the iPhone 13 mini kind of locked at the point when they, they realize the iPhone 12 mini phones are sales are lackluster. So we will get an iPhone 13 mini and then uh, that will be it for the mini. Another another idea is that they only do the mini every few generations so that we would have the iPhone 13 mini, iPhone 13 mini for the next generation that's still in the product lineup. And then when they're ready to move that out of the product lineup, they would do a new mini with the iPhone 15 or something like that or 16. So that's also – there's lots of different ideas of what might be happening here with the mini. But the bottom line is we what we do know is that sales were very disappointing on the 12 mini, which disappoints me. However, mm. I, I, will, I will just say and I'll defend the iPhone iPhone 12 mini a little I think Apple set themselves up for failure because for years they didn't make a smaller phone their phones were just big and um, the only small phone option was the SE and the SE was getting very long in the tooth for quite a while and uh, then finally in uh, I believe it was February or March or something like that of of last year uh, the year the iPhone 12 mini came out they released a, a very updated, pretty modern version of the SE with pretty modern internals, but the same form factor as the smaller, you know, the iPhone 6S, 7, uh, 8 form factor type thing. So um, <clears throat> the, the thinking was probably I'm, – I'm thinking that, that people were thinking, well, they're, they're not going to release a smaller phone. This is our smaller phone. So people who are inclined to get a smaller phone went with the SE. And then a few months later, Apple releases the iPhone 12 mini. And so those people are not inclined in this update cycle to update to the 12 mini. So Apple, I think, really hosed themselves with mm. – if they wanted to sell the 12 mini, they really dampened their sales of the 12 mini, in my opinion. That's a very good point. Now that they've had it around for a year and they're going to maybe bring it back for a second year, I wouldn't be surprised if there are still some people who are using older iPhone 10s, 10s, maybe 10Rs that are ready to upgrade and they might be comparing features and say, I still like a smaller size. But then they'll also be really tempted if they haven't already tried a bigger phone to go that direction as well because... I know people with small hands that are really interested in with their iPhone Maxes. They they just really like that size. It's their personal computer, so right. have the biggest personal computer you can get. Yeah, but I, you know what? I, it's not my personal computer. To me, my Mac Minis and my souped-up iMacs from the office and at home are my better Macs. And so my personal computers are those. And then even if I had a second layer of personal computers, I'd say it's my iPad Pro. So for me, the iPhone at this point is a iPod that can take calls. And mm-hmm. uh, when I remember, it's like, oh, yeah, it also takes pictures and video. So... I just don't need a big device for that. You know, if yeah. I'm listening to a podcast, it's still coming out of the coming out as the same volume, and yes, <laughs> having yes. a bigger phone does not mean you have more volume. Yeah, no, so. I, I I agree, and I wonder. I think that you and I are probably in a a large mi- but minority, a large minority, but a minority of people who who operate this way. Even my wife, who um, she basically only uses her computer when she can't or or it's unwieldy to do something on her phone. Like she has to write a long email, or you know she has to study for her classes or for the the stuff that she's teaching. Uh, then she'll use her computer. But most of her life is run on her phone. And when we're out and about, like when we travel, she it's almost like. 
I'll, I'll be like, do you need your computer for anything? She's like, oh, no, I don't think I want to take that. I'll, I have the phone. Yeah. I can do whatever I yeah. need. Like, that's how she thinks. And I think most people run their lives on their little phones and all their communication, like everything has moved from computer to phone. Like a lot of people are that way. And I think the people still using computers that aren't doing it so professionally like you and me are are – Older folks who just, you know, they got used to using their gateway computer or or perhaps their Mac, but probably their gateway. And that's just they they have their, quote, computer time and they go sit at their desk and they write their emails and they go watch TV or mow the lawn or, or you know, I'm, I'm generalizing. But you know what I'm saying. And, and <laughs> yeah. most people, I would say, our age or younger they're doing their life on their phone. And so it makes sense that it's still pocketable, but it's a bigger device for them to have more screen real estate. It's, it's sort of like how we get a MacBook or a MacBook pro, and then we connect it to bigger displays there. They don't have that option. So they get bigger phones. I, I think it's the same sort of principle there. And so, um, those of us who want the Mac, the iPhone mini, because it's very much an ancillary device to our lives, uh, we're in the minority. It, it's, the iPhone for me is I go, I'm on the go and then I'll do the real stuff. Like I can take some notes. I can look at my to do's. I can take calls and I'm connected, but it's not where I'm doing my primary work. Like you say, and, and where I'm doing my primary work is on my occasionally my iPad, but mostly my Hackintosh. So yeah, very much. I don't, I just don't want the bigger phone. So then this raises a pretty good question for both of us since we do prefer the mini size. I, I, I prefer it too, and I got the iPhone 12 Pro, and I've really loved this device. It feels great. I love the color, but I got it for the camera system being superior to the 12 minis. Mm-hmm. But if it wasn't for that, then I would even be willing to suffer the little ding to battery life. So the thing is, if this is the last time we get a upgraded mini for at least a few years, maybe the last for a while, is now the time to go ahead and upgrade year over year to get the new mini? <laughs> so uh, I don't think that I can justify that um, in my okay. finances. Uh and it's not like that the iPhone 13 will be going out of the lineup in a couple of years when I want to upgrade anyway. So if there is no new mini, I'll either stick with my 12 or I will upgrade to the 13 or I'll wait and see what happens or I'll just upgrade to the not mini iPhone, which will have advantages. There's no question. It'll just be a little frustrating because I love the size of the mini. I will say that battery life is the uh the achilles heel at this point of the 12 mini it was fine i i figured it would be a problem a year in because it was fine the day i got it but it wasn't fantastic great oh my amazing oh my gosh now compared to the 6s which was starting to really show its battery age you know yes it's great but i knew that it wasn't as good as my android phones and and i'm looking now i'm my maximum capacity on my battery is 88 percent and I can tell the difference from when it was new. Like it doesn't mm. – so you when it was new, I think by the end of the day, I'd be down to about 40%. And these days, I'm down to about 30 28% when I go to charge on my on my you know nightstand. So it's almost to the point where I'm thinking – and sometimes I do just – oh, I, I just – I won't even be thinking about it. But I'll be – I'll see my charge on my desk. Go, oh, I'll just – I'll give it a little juice while I'm sitting here at my desk. Um, so battery is definitely the issue there. And I hope that Apple does something about that, but if they're not going to keep making the mini, then it won't matter as much. Okay. 
Yeah, and the verdict is still out for me because I really want that mini size. And given some of my project plans, I'm interested in getting a good camera for some of my video projects. And I won't be dependent upon the cameras on my iPhone anymore for getting a good clip if Mm -hmm. I needed to Mm -hmm. in a pinch. So if I'm going to go ahead and have another kind of camera for that sort of thing, I'm not going to be thinking about using the iPhone for really good quality pictures and video anymore. And I really care about the size. I I think the only way that they could really strongly discourage me from getting a 12 or a 13 mini... Let, okay, so hypothetically speaking, what if they come out with the iPhone 13 and there isn't a mini at all? They just say, you know, it wasn't popular enough and the rumor mill was wrong. We're just going to give you maxes and regular sizes all the way. Yeah. You're going to have a regular size 13, a 13 Max, a 13 Pro, and a 13 Pro Max. Then we would only have one option left, and that is, in my case, kind of downgrading down to the 12 Mini. And I think I might just do it because I would rather have a Mini for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And to each his own. Oh, sure. I, I'm frustrated that people aren't seeing the, the spectacularness of, of the iPhone 12 mini, but you know, people, I believe people should buy what they want. And even you didn't buy the mini. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm wrecked with, uh, guilt, consternation, yes. consternation. <laughs> yeah, I really <laughs> suffered that decision for over a month before I got my 12 pro. Well, you're evil, but other than that, it's, it's fine. Uh, well, you know, Evil it has been a pleasure the last past year. So speaking of iPhones, uh, my journey to try to find a good MagSafe wallet has continued with the second one that I mentioned was coming. It eventually did. It got back ordered or whatever, but it did eventually show up. And um, I'm disappointed with it. And so this, oh, yeah? this one is the Exter MagSafe card holder. So it's, it's a, d- a little different from what I got before, but it's specifically designed to fit the iPhone 12 uh, magnets. And it didn't say specifically, I went back and looked at the product page after I got it. It didn't say specifically the mini, but it just said iPhone 12. Uh, it was compatible with iPhone 12 and MagSafe. It hangs over the bottom just a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit. It's, I could live with it, but, and, and it does have like, so the, you know, how there's the round roundness of the magnet, but then it has another magnet further down to keep stuff from, from, you know, turning, which seemingly my first wallet that I got didn't have. This wallet definitely has that. It does not twist on the, on the phone when it's magnetized. However, and, and it's definitely, so it sticks better to the, to the bare phone or the phone with the, uh, uh, not the totally case, the peel case that I had, but still not great. So I have switched back to, <laughs> here's me switching cases. I know you're shocked. I switched back to Apple Silicon case it has much better grip on that. However, occasionally, not very often, but occasionally it still comes off in my pocket. So I'll just be, I, I put it on. I knew it was on when I put it in my pocket and then I'll go to get it out and everything's separated and it's a mess. So I'm, I'm a little frustrated with that. I am super not happy with how difficult it is to get cards out of this thing. And I know that you want you don't want cards falling out of the MagSafe holder, but this is ridiculously hard. I will say that I think part of that is I'm very unhappy with Apple's titanium card because I have an Apple card that's my primary card that I pay for things with so that when people don't take Apple Pay, I have to have that with me. Um, and so Apple Apple's Apple card is a titanium slab. It's a card size, but it's just a little thicker, and it's 
not flexible. And most cards are flexible, right? So you could kind of get your finger or fingernail under there and then flex it a little bit, and then all of a sudden you get a good grip on it and pull it out. You cannot do that with the Apple card, and I think that's the primary problem that I'm having. Yeah. Um, however, the, um, the, uh, oh, what's the name of that? Oh, shoot. I should have had this ready. It's the other wallet that I got. It's from Distill Union. Let me see if I can find it in my email. Distill Union. Uh, thank you for your recent purchase. Uh, Wally Jr. That's the one. So the Wally Jr., the one feature that it has that I absolutely love is that it has a nylon strap and, and, and it's, it's your cards go in and the nylon strap goes down with it. You know what I mean? It's so much, sort of like, yeah, you I know, have a regular wallet that can do that. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of it's like great. those things where you, the, the straps where you put in a double A battery and it's under, the strap is under it so you can pull it out. It's that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Wally Jr. has that, and I absolutely love it because then you just tug on that a little bit, and the cards just pop right up out of there, and you can grab them and pull them out. And it's it also acts as a clasp, clasp because it has a magnet on the top, and so you flip it over, and it just sort of clasps the cards in there. Not that they would fall out because it's tight enough anyway. So in every other respect, the Wally Jr. is a better uh, wallet or card wallet. I just wish that it would stay on my phone better. But I was pretty happy with it before the Exter wallet showed up just putting it in my back pocket and I wouldn't even know it was there. That was the problem I had with my trifold is it's just this big massive wallet in my pocket and mm. you have to take it out of your pocket pocket to sit down or at least I felt I, I hated it in my pocket when I yeah, sat down. Yeah, I don't like it that way either yeah. on mine. But mm. with with the Wally Jr. I never noticed it because it's so thin, um, which has downsides. I can't really carry cash. I can only fit three cards in it, but it mostly served my needs and I'm thinking of just going back to that and having a still having a three-piece system, which is my keys, phone and wallet because i i think the i think the bottom line is that magsafe just isn't up to the challenge of firmly clasping for everyday carry something to your phone i it's a it's a bummer i wish apple would figure that out but uh, and this is only the first generation so we'll see but i i just don't think that it's feasible to have a wallet that is magnetized to the phone and i i enjoy having the phone without wallet on it most of the time. So I do not want a wallet case. That is not something I'm interested in. So have you tried the Apple wallet, leather wallet? I haven't, I, but I, the, the reviews all said that the um, Exter has better superior magnetizing capabilities than Apple's. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So that's where I'm at with the wallets. I think I'm just going to go back to the Wally Jr. and use it standalone. Okay. Well, and, you know, there are other options, and there probably will be other options that are discoverable down the road. Yeah, well, so. it hasn't even quite been a year yet since MagSafe has been out. So I think that eventually things may get to a different place. But for now, it is the way it is. Yeah. Well, then, do you want to talk a little bit about this new biography idea of Elon Musk? Yeah. So, Jody, did you read the Walter Isaacson biography of Steve Jobs? I sure did. So um, Walter Isaacson, he wrote that biography of Steve Jobs. He is now writing uh, a biography about Elon Musk. And um, I have some thoughts, Joe. I don't know if you have some thoughts, but I have some thoughts. And mostly, I never got a chance to really talk about this because I didn't have a tech podcast at the time. And nobody, not that that many people listen to my podcast or our podcast, but but nobody read my blogs at any point. And then I, of course, changed URLs and all the links broke and all kinds of things. And I shut down. I changed the purpose of BuzzingPixel.com from a blog to selling my software. And 
oh, you know, it's just all a mess. And so my thoughts are still out there, and I'm going to link to them in the show notes. But um, boy, do I not like the biography of Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. It's it's a bad, bad, bad – it's bad all around. I I don't know if this is indicative of the, the work that Walter Isaacson normally does, but his, his biography of Steve Jobs was bad. So – I don't have much to say about him writing a biography of Elon Musk. It's more about, hey, this is an excuse for me to talk about how much I didn't like Steve Jobs. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of expected that a, a Elon Musk biography would not be much different totally or in fact – yeah, and I think, and, and this is so. So let me let me get, paint you a little bit of backstory for me with this book. Is um, I started coming across in the book factual errors, right? So things that I knew that I already knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, it wasn't up for question. He just stated wrong. He just got completely wrong in the biography of Steve Jobs, which made me start questioning what, what the things that I don't know. Is he getting those accurate? I think from the things that I've read that are ancillary to the book, I, I think that maybe Walter Isaacson was just not very good at the technical details, and so that may be what is happening here, but it made me question other things. Like, the things that he was saying were verifiably false. Like, he could have done some research and figured it out. Um, but but beyond that, I think one of the biggest problems with the Walter Isaacson biography of Steve Jobs is that he had what I would call narrative impatience. So he would pick up a single thread, and he would follow it through to conclusion, and then he would back up. So we would be up like from 1980 through 1990-something because that, that's how far the thread went. But then we would back up to like the late 80s instead of the early 80s and then go through the 90s again. And what that led to was this feeling of disjointedness in the book. It didn't feel like you were reading the story of Steve Jobs. It felt like you were reading a, reading a series of sketches. And what's more, because he was doing this whole series of sketches things, he would repeat himself a lot. And I'd be like, didn't you already tell us this? I don't understand why we're rehashing this again. We talked about this three chapters ago. Be- but because he had to back up to pick up a new thread, and in what I um, – the biographies that I enjoy, the type of stories that I enjoy, they tend to be more about weaving a rich tapestry of those threads, a more complex story instead of a single thread and then go back and pick up another thread. Instead, you're telling – you're following this thread for a while, but then you're still in the 80s, so you're going to talk about this other thread that starts here. And it it just I found that aspect of the book extremely frustrating and very poor sloppy writing overall. Um, the, the biggest I think most egregious transgression storytelling wise was when he got to the end toward the end of the book and he was telling of Steve Jobs resigning from uh, being CEO of Apple and how Steve Jobs had to come to grips with the fact that he would never be CEO again. He was not healthy. He was not able to be CEO and could not ever be again. It was very touching. He tells the story. One of the better ways in which Walter Isaacson wrote there is that part of the story. But then he crushes the moment as soon as as soon as he resigns from the board he crushes the moment by jumping off on some yickety yak about something else completely. Yeah. And I just, the moment was just gone and he never recaptured it. And it was just a huge wasted opportunity. It was so frustrating. The, as an example of the technical things that he got wrong, um, let me pull this up. It'll be in the show notes, but it's something that I wrote. I, I wrote it as soon as I, I read this part of it. Here, okay, I'm just going to read what I wrote back in 2011. I'm also upset with Walter Isaacson himself for managing to completely mangle the technical origins of OS X, claiming that OS X is not based on Next Step, but is rather a modified version of classic Mac OS, incorporating the mock microkernel. 
<laughs> now, Joe, that doesn't even make sense, does it? It's classic no. Mac OS, but it's a different microkernel. Like, I suppose technically if microkernels were that swappable, it might make some sense, but it, it's not. And it's completely wrong. It's just right. not correct. Mac OS 10 is next step or slash open step because next step became open step. There's a long history there. So from Steve Jobs com- company next, it is that operating system. What Apple did was they took next step and evolved it into what we now know of and con- it's a continuing evolution of mac os 10 so mac os 10 evolved from next step they what they did is they added in technologies from classic mac os as needed and the he confusedly points out os 10 could run most classic mac os applications as is quote or with a small amount of work to port the application okay this is technically true but the reason is because apple was booting up mac os 9 behind the scenes classic mac os was running as a virtual operating system and then running classic mac os software it was not in any way running natively on mac os 10 it's just he just managed to mangle this so so badly uh i think gruber might even john gruber probably does a better job of explaining this than i do um, so I'm, and you I'm did gonna, a good job too. I read your post today, and yeah, yeah I, I think I read it back when. Probably but yeah, it was good. And I remember I was listening to the book mostly over an Audible uh, back in one of my first Audible books uh, on a f- long flight. And I remember just finding it very difficult to follow, like you were saying, how much he jumped around and the details I had read about concerning him from other biographies were often more accurate. Yeah. Yeah, and then oh the oh this is this is I I just remembered that one of the big things to uh, that I just found frustrating throughout the entirety of the book is what I call editorializing. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading a biography, I don't want the author's opinion about what happened. Yeah. I want the author to tell me what happened. And and of course, any author is going to come to a narrative with a. Um, a preconceived idea, and you're going to get that. There's no question about that. Um, you, you know, you've you've been in the documentary scene. I've I've edited many. I've been involved in and edited a few documentaries. Uh, you know, video audio, uh, documentaries, uh, films, and I know how these things work. But what you strive for in in that medium, and and uh, also I believe in the biography, you know, book medium, is you strive for leading people where you want them to be, not telling them where you want them to be. And Isaacson often told you how to feel instead of instead of leading you there and making you feel it. He would just tell you how to feel. Um, he would say stuff, you know, and he would say he would quote Jobs, and then he would say stuff like Jobs said unfairly, and and yeah. and you're like. I don't, I don't need that. I don't, I don't need – one of the biggest examples is when Isaacson point blank apparently, according to this narrative, asked Jobs if he believed that his mean-spiritedness uh, – this is a paraphrase. So I don't remember the exact words. But if, if he asked Jobs if your mean-spiritedness, Jobs, was something that you could, you could help or not. And um, you know, Jobs said he didn't think he could help it. But then Isaacson goes on to say, but I believe Jobs could have helped it, you know, but he chose not to. I'm like – why do I care what you think? You didn't know the man until he asked you to write the biography. Like, I don't care what you think. Just tell me what Jobs said. Tell me what the people around him thought. Like, but I don't care what you think. Like, that, just stop it. It's just dumb. <laughs> yeah, he's just the biographer. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it, it, bottom line, I felt like the book was extremely, I've, I've read many better books <laughs> and many better biographies. I just felt like it was a sloppy, sloppy writing.
So I'm not so th- th- to back it up to the point about Elon Musk. I I would be interested in a biography of Elon Musk. I think he's a very fascinating individual. And whatever people say, you know, Steve Jobs diehards. I've I read some in the comments of this uh, Mac Rumors article, which will be linked in the show notes. There's no Steve Jobs. He's an asshole. You know, it's like as Steve Jobs wasn't. Uh, <laughs> it's like no. I think I think Elon is a very complicated character. I think he's I think in his way he's Jobsian, and I would be interested in a real biography of him. I'm not going to read Walter Isaacson's biography of him. And I feel the same way. I, I, I he kind of burned his reputation in my mind with his Steve Jobs biography. So I'm uninterested. I don't care if they call it the official biography. I don't care if they brought it back here from the future and said that, that they finished writing it after Elon Musk's death, and so they got all the details. I don't care. I know some of those details are going to be wrong. Yeah. So I also, um, this will be in the uh, show notes as well. I, I already mentioned it, the Daring Fireball uh, review of the Walter Isenson, Steve Jobs. So I just wanted to read a little bit of that because I thought it was so good. Like go before you read my stuff, read John Gruber's review. It's, it's really fantastic. And, and it's scathing. It's so scathing. And, and it's not because, um, he, uh, has parts in the book that are critical of, of Steve Jobs. I think that if any, any level-headed critique, any level-headed look at Steve Jobs is going to include the parts where Jobs definitely was uh, uh, not easy to get along with. I think that Apple would be in a better place if Jobs had had sanded off some of his rough edges. Like I think some of the worst parts of Apple come straight from Steve Jobs' bad sides. But so, so this is not, and, and Gruber agrees. Like this is not because he didn't paint the most flattering picture of, of Jobs. He he just has the same complaints, or in some of that I didn't even pick up. That, that I had. Um, so he quotes um, from the book, uh, and so I'll start there. Years later when I raised it with him, so he had talked earlier about Gates being, like uh, Gil Emilio had said that Gates was yelling on the phone when he, they decided to purchase Next. So years later when I raised it with him, Gates did not recall being that upset. The purchase of Next, he argued, did not really give Apple a new operating system. Emilio paid a lot for Next, and let's be frank, Next OS was never really used. Instead, the purchase ended up being uh, ended up bringing in Avi Tavanian, who could help the existing Apple operating system evolve so that it eventually incorporated the kernel of the next technology. Gates knew that the deal was was destined to bring Jobs back to power, but that was a twist of fate, he said. What they ended up buying was a guy who most people would not have predicted would be a great CEO because he didn't have much experience at it, but he was a brilliant guy with great design taste and great engineering taste. He suppressed his craziness enough to get himself appointed interim CEO. So that's the end of the quote. I'll continue reading where Gruber picks up. He, Gruber says, so ends this section of the chapter with no additional commentary from Isaacson or any other sources. The above is simply left to stand as a description. A reader with no knowledge who trusts Isaacson would be left to believe that the above is an accurate description of Apple's next, OX, next acquisition. It is, in fact, completely and utterly wrong. Next Step was not just warmed over Unix. Apple did get Next OS to run on Mac hardware. Mac OS 10 10.0 was a hybrid of Mac and Next technology, but it was clearly the Next system with Mac technologies integrated not the other way around, which is what I just said. Um, iOS, the systems that power both the iPhone and iPad, is a direct descendant of Next Step. Even the original iPod, which wasn't based on Next technology, used the column view concept for hierarchical navigation, which was pioneered by Next. Gates makes it sound as though Apple's Next acquisition was effectively only a talent acquisition. It was, in fact, both a talent and technology acquisition, and what was then Next technology now serves as the basis for both Mac OS X and iOS. It's almost impossible to overstate just how wrong Bill Gates is 
how wrong Bill Gates is here. But Isaacson presents Gates' side as the truth. This is no small thing for Steve Jobs' biographer to get wrong. Jobs' career was long, rich, and varied, but if you want to reduce his entire life's work to a nutshell, it would be exactly what Isaacson, channeling Gates, so completely misunderstood. The software system created by Next, which was then continuously expanded upon and refined by Apple. And then I'm, I'm skipping some paragraphs to get to this part. He says, it's not just that Isaacson was wrong about something, is that he was wrong about the most important thing in Jobs' career. There's a decades-long story arc about the software system started at Next that Isaacson completely misses. Go read that whole thing, and also <laughs> listen to John Syracuse's two hypercritical episodes, uh, Hypercritical 42 and 43. They're fantastic, scathing reviews of the book. Yep. You know, if you haven't read the book, I don't even think I would recommend it at this point. No. That you would even give it a one-time read. No, I've heard other books recommended as, go read these instead. I actually need to read them. I, I haven't. Um, but I, I was just so depressed after reading the, and knowing how much Isaacson got wrong and how sloppy the book was that I just didn't I didn't go yeah, and well, do we, it. We could talk about one of those books another time. Yeah. That would be a good idea. Both I, I give us an excuse because well, we both need to read them. I, we do, yeah. We should find out what those books are. I don't even remember now. And I have so many books on my reading list. I have, I have so little time to read, Joe. It's it's frustrating. Do you get around to doing many audiobooks? I know I, you have. Podcasts. I do a lot of audiobooks, but I those tend to be um, those tend to be fiction because there's a lot of fiction books I want to read, uh, science fiction typically or or uh, fantasy. I try oh, okay. to do my serious reading as actual reading. Um, you know, my theology books, my um, just what have you. Um, those sorts of books. I try. I tend to want to read, uh, actually read, because I find I retain more of it, and that's more important to retain uh, for me. So, um, I but I I I did listen. There was one book, and I want to actually go read it actually now because um, I I found I just didn't pick up as much as I wanted to from it. There was a book that was not fiction. Uh, that it was a I'm trying to remember the name of it, um, but it was a very academic book, and I just had a hard time continuing to pay attention to it. It was a very good book, uh, very good analysis. Um, let me see if I can find it. It's I've got it in Audible. Um, Audible.com. Purchase history. Okay. Do, 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 do. The Democratization of American Christianity by Nathan O. Hatch. So obviously my serious reading is uh, – you know, Christian reading because I'm a I'm a you know believer, um, but yeah, that was a very good book. But I, I want to actually read it and not listen to it because I found it harder to to grasp onto things. Yeah, it is a I I was a voracious reader uh, as a child and through my teen years and even in my early twenties and um, I. As I've become a working class adult, uh, and now I'm very, you know, I'm almost 40, I find it very difficult to find time to read. Oh, it is difficult. It's yeah. very difficult because I'm, and, and of course I read all the time. I mean to sit down and read books. I, I have to read for my job. I read all kinds of documentation and I write code, like, you know, but, but sitting down and reading a good book is very difficult. And I, I do fill a lot of that, the like I said, the fiction stuff with, you know, um, when I'm running or biking uh, in my audiobook listening. And the thing too is like you were saying that the, the, the there's just so many good books. So when are you going to squeeze in the time when your podcasts are competing against some television shows and video games and everything else, social yeah. engagements? And there's a lot going on. 
Yeah, so right now I'm listening to Dune uh, because the movie's coming out soon, and I want to have read the book. I prefer to read the books before I you know, watch the movies, usually. Oh, okay, that's yeah. clever, yeah. So I'm listening to Dune, uh, and uh, that's that's a lot of fun. It's, it's an interesting book, and it was written in a very different era, but it's, it's interesting nonetheless. Uh, have you heard The Final Empire? Did you read that one? Uh, it was an audiobook? Uh, seeing as how you do Mm-mm. listen to the science fiction, no, I'd I recommend don't. it. It's, it's pretty good. Right. I, I have it right now. Yeah, send that over to me for sure. My current favorite fictional series, very adult, uh, has has adult content, be aware, but um, it's the Harry Dresden series. Fantastic fantasy series. Uh, love it. But uh, unfortunately, I've listened to them all twice. <laughs> and it's like, ah, <laughs> oh, come on. And he's, the series isn't finished, so I'm just waiting on pins and needles for the next book. But So I'm, I'm finding other books to fill the time. Uh, Dune, obviously. Watership Down is next up in my queue after Dune. Uh, which I that one I watched the Netflix series and now I'm going to go back and, and listen to the book. Um, so I'm going to also up in my queue. I'm going to re-listen to. Uh, I've listened to it a few years ago. I, I know this is going to sound funny to some people, but I love uh, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, and so I'm going to listen to that again uh, as I'm running and biking. So. And that that is uh, I don't know if anybody remembers I've talked about this before but what I do is I um, I have a so- software that will transform Audible books into MP3s which I can upload to the Overcast server for my you know uh, to get it into Overcast um, and so then they're in my queue and I will I will slide any podcasts that come in up above the books and then when a when a podcast is over it then just goes back to my book so it's really nice. Very nice. All right, so you've put uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. You've put that in our show document the the Final Empire, Mistborn, the Final Empire, and so I'll yeah, very good. I will also put that on my list. I have three Audible credits right now, so I'll uh, I might even buy it tonight. Oh, very good. Yeah, it's a good listen. Good. I, I think I don't think we have time to talk about this other thing. Okay, cool. No, I mean, it, it, yeah, we are pushing an hour, so I, I would like to save this one and chew on it myself a little bit more. I read the article from okay. G- Gruber. Yeah, so maybe we'll we'll just more. give a preview, just so that because it is a current event, we don't, you know, and if there are two or three listeners that they want to mm-hmm. know that we we'll keep up with current events, uh, right. this is a th- this topic that we're gonna save till next time is about Apple's new child safety initiatives and the slippery slope is the name of Daring Fireball article, and it's about CSAM, which is child sexual abuse material, and Apple working to address that, but but also the privacy concerns that come up with that and you know is it the no it's it's a complicated and thorny issue and i i don't even know how to get my head around it all and i feel like apple's messaging has been very bad and there's so much to talk about i just don't think we can cover it in the next five minutes so maybe we'll make that a really high profile main topic in two weeks yeah, that's a good idea. And uh, there will be new topics by then, too. So I'm sure there will be. Move it to the top of the queue. Yeah, and we're getting toward, uh, you know, we're in August now. We're getting toward the time when Apple will be uh, announcing their fall event. So I sur- surely they'll announce it by the end of August, maybe. I, I don't know when they traditionally announce the fall event, but that's when they, of course, usually traditionally release new hardware. We're expecting MacBook Pros and all kinds of things. So the the pump is primed any time now for for news to continue to trickle out that we might want to talk about on the show. All right, TJ, that's well, a that's a wrap. Good I think show. That, I think that's a wrap for this show. As as you say, Joe, where uh, people might want to hear more of your voice, where can they do that? 
Yeah. So I had to uh, go to a film festival to work last week. And the week before that, my friend, Dr. Carter had a vacation. And so we're going to be back uh, this week. New Slackers. content for the Equinox podcast. Yeah. The the vacation and the film festival snuck up on us. Yeah. 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 And I know how that is. Well, you know, since the quarantine, we just don't know how to do this stuff. You know, I, I really enjoy it. I'll tell you, I'll tell our listeners what, you know, you came to me, this was back when no podcasts were going on on Night Owl. We had, we'd had this dream. We had this vision for Night Owl. It's still not what we want it to be because we're both very busy. But you came to me and you said, you know, I have this idea for a podcast. Can I just run with it? And I said, sure. I didn't expect, I didn't expect I was going to enjoy it. I was like, ah, oh, science podcast from a science guy. I really enjoy it. It's a very, I, I honest, honestly, I just enjoy listening to you and Dr. Carter talk about science stuff. And I, yeah, sometimes sweet. I love your nice. questions and how he's like, yeah, that's funny. No. <laughs> it's funny well that's it for us Uh, show notes this week of course are at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash 36 this is our 36th episode and that's where you where you will find the show notes until uh, not next week but the week after until then uh, live a hi-fi lifestyle I guess alright catch you later